Hi, welcome to Two Coaches and a Coffee. I'm Jason Weber. I'm here and ably assisted by the great green keeper in the South, in South Australia, the man with the most elaborate lawn I've ever seen, the great <laughs> Dr. Darren Burgess. How are you, mate? I'm all right, mate. Thanks for that intro. And yes, the lawn is coming along an absolute treat. So we might post wow. that somehow. Oh, um, we will have to get to that. I, I need an enormous amount of help. Mate, you've, you've been, uh, yeah, there's been a bit of controversy. I know you're just chomping at the bit. Uh, a bit of feedback from last week that I got was that uh, the fact that both of us displayed a little bit of passion and um, was was well received. Uh, we got so up and about. Let's. Uh, we've only really got. We've only really planned for one topic to speak about today. And this one the, might explode. Let's, yeah, let's this one might it. explode. Right. Let's get. It. I'm going to do my best to give you a little bit of background. But Professor Rob Newton, who was one of my my senior PhD supervisor. So if you ever look him well, up, all, on, um, good people as yeah, well as yeah, our great man. practitioner, just yeah. a genuine good, massive human in the industry. He started a lot of the work on uh, power profiling and jumps and throws, uh, did a lot of that work in his PhD, still does a lot of stuff with force platforms, uh, uh, force plates and the like. Uh, but if you ever look him up on whatever you want to call it, Twitter or X, at Prof, P-R-O-F, Rob Newton. Um, but he's punched out through the week and made me aware that the Australian Physiotherapy Association have launched a paper, publicly put a paper out, talking about how incredibly good they are from a physio perspective and putting down uh, accredited exercise physiologists in Australia. So in Australia, just so people from overseas know, where there's a couple of bodies that govern things, but Exercise and Sports Science Australia fundamentally uh, register coaches and professionals to work in sport, certainly in AFL, NRL, rugby, you have to be accredited through uh, ESSA. But they also accredit, uh, have a position called an accredited exercise physiologist. And there is a wealth of data, absolute wealth of research, particularly through Rob up at ECU, where they've looked at the impact of exercise on cardiovascular disease, a lot of work, a lot of work on uh, uh, cancer and various forms of cancer and the impact of exercise. But the Australian Physiotherapy Association have seen fit to put a position paper out saying that really exercise physiologists aren't qualified to do anything and they're not held to the same government standards as physios. The main reason for that is they're they're qualified under different um, codes because physios will put needles into people and manipulate people, put their hands on. Exercise is not that. We don't need to touch, manipulate, insert anything into anybody. So here's my piece. I have worked for a long time in sport, as you have, Darren, with physios. And I have some some of the most incredible physios who've worked with me, helped form my career um, from my earliest days with Linda Bennett's up in Brisbane, um, Anna-Louise Bouvier, um, the great Dr. Jeffrey Boyle, Marshall Stockton, Greg Mullings in my AFL days. uh, Cameron Lucrap within the rugby union circle, like fantastic operators. Kieran Cleary, who's a, one of the physios now of the Wallabies, working from under a mountain of strain. But those people have been remarkable. I know there's guys in your career the same. Those people have been absolutely unbelievable to me. 
And even to this day with my little speed sig business, I promote hard the fact that we should be working closer together, that we should be coming together with physios to work because I think they have a skill set we don't have, nor they have our skill set. But to have a professional body come out and create a division is ridiculous. I've just spent um, a couple of weeks in the US where I saw lots of division, where I saw physical therapists that do not speak to their, their strength and conditioning compatriots, people who I know for a fact know a lot about what they're doing, yet these physical therapists dictate training. Now, obviously, that's America, but that's a huge division. To have that profit and promoted in Australia is just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, and it tears apart the fabric of what I think good practitioners, and I know a lot of physiotherapists don't rate that view, but that's their national body coming out. So, you know, it is absolutely divisive and tears me apart to see that people are promoting themselves like that. What do you think, mate? Well, I guess to... um... I think it's really obvious for anybody who listens to this podcast, whether they're a physio or, um, or you know, sports science or performance or, or all of the above, doctor, um, all three of the people that listen to the podcast um, will. <laughs> I thought we had on four. Page. Yeah, they'll be on the page, uh, the same page. I, what, what I'm really keen to get your thoughts on, because you, there's nothing that you said that I disagree with, why do you think they did it? What what would be their motivation for for doing it? Do I think, you think if you like the, the physios that you mentioned yeah. and the ones that I've I've worked with, which are you know I, I won't bother going through all the list, but um, they wouldn't agree with it at all. No, I think if you use the chess analogy and play the other side of the board, it's a political move. They're trying to garner business for themselves and make a clear path. There's unquestionably, I see in my practice now, um, you see a lot of physios trying to get into the conditioning space and and create business around cardiovascular rehabilitation, cancer medicine, all that. So I think there's a motivation more around the structure of business and taking, um, making that a political move. I don't believe for a second there are, um, the people certainly I referenced and the same that you would reference have any sort of commensurate view with that um, disproportionate piece. But that being said, I will say I have met some young physios in you know the last couple of months who have a ridiculous view of how much they know. Absolutely ridiculous. And like it's coming, they're, they're, you know, a couple of years out of university and I'm practising and I know this and I can quote this other thing. Yeah, okay but you don't know a single thing about movement and much less in some cases about how humans react to exercise. So I'm not throwing a blanket over everybody. I mean, there are shit S&C coaches. Don't make absolutely clear of that. There are some dunces out there. But to cast that shadow in a a light where the the public are being guided to a path and say, hey, this profession's no good, you should come to our profession, is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous, and it should, you know, I would think physiotherapists worth their salt should be having words back to their association about misrepresenting what is a great profession in that way. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> I think there's room enough for everybody, so I think it's a bad read by the oh, APA. It's terrible. Like, really, really bad read. So 
Um, I think you're right in their motivations. They sort of thought, okay, let's try and um, promote us. You can do that without doing it at the expense of somebody else um, or another organisation. Um, you know, it's if if you think about um, the nutrition uh, nutrition education system, right? And where where do most people get their information about nutrition from? Like, what which field do you think as generally? It'd be doctors. A lot of people I'm seeing get their information off Twitter, mate. Yeah, yeah. So if you take out social media, in terms of practitioners, it's doctors because doctors have this trust thing. And um, up up until about five years ago, the the leading um, medical degree in Australia in the five years, let's say four years of education plus a year of postgrad and the five years of study, how many hours do you reckon they spent doing nutrition? 30 minutes. Five years. Three hours. Yeah, I said 30 minutes. I was being facetious. But, yeah, three hours would be about right. So maybe the uh, – and that – maybe the physios are sort of seeing a bit of a gap in the marketplace or seeing that – and when I say the physios, that's that's poor by me. The, the association, um, yeah, is seeing, I don't know, a, a gap there and thinking that they can fill it. I'm not sure, but – um, the education system around physiology and what your point earlier about what happens to the body during exercise uh, and how does the body respond and react to exercise, the education within um, the physio degree, as I understand it, most physio degrees is fairly limited, which is essentially, you know, what exercise science and sports science studies. So it's a, interesting it's a, time. Mate, it's actually we'll pull up one more point, but but Rob makes an interesting point on his his Twitter feed. Um, there is no more overlap in scope of practice between physiotherapists and accredited exercise physiologists than there is for an occupational therapist and a physiotherapist. All right, so that's it's already established. They're they're different professions. So is physio and AEP. I think they're different professions. Uh, they are allied without question. Anyway, that that'll probably do us on that one for the minute. What do you think, mate? Yeah, yeah, just a bad riddle. But it, it's a watch this space because Essa have have replied and tried to reach out and um, uh, to to the APA to see if they can work together in some way. But anyway, but I think look, man, I I will say as someone who's in a in an industry like with with my um, speech business where we're we're trying to actively promote the communication of those groups. And one of the core things I always talk about is having a common language. If we don't have common language, we're not going to work together. And too often I've seen a gulf, a great divide. So, yeah, anyway, let's move on to something a little bit different. What have you, do you want to, do you want to launch I'm into? Gonna we, I'm going to throw something at you that we haven't even spoken about. Oh, um, we love it. We love when, a challenge. I had a great conversation with Dave Carolyn. Um, yesterday, oh, yep. uh, a whole bunch of different clubs, um, most notably Colchester, which is where I met him. He was driving the club mascot vehicle when he picked me up from the train station and took me to the to the training ground. This is two thousand and seven, probably um, maybe two thousand and eight. Anyway, um, we're talking about uh, international breaks 
two things we were talking about. One is getting um, let go of your job. I reckon that's that's a discussion for next week for you and I, Jason, um, and how to handle that. Um, and Violently. That's, unfor- that's, that's um, <laughs> unfortunate what happened to Dave in the last couple of weeks from Millwall. Yeah, right. But right now in the in the Premier League is the international break. Um, in terms of what that looks like, it's essentially two weeks of um, two weeks of training with all of the players that are not away for their team on international duty. And it's interesting reading some of the articles that are going along. And I, I've paid less attention to Premier League um, in the last couple of years than I obviously did previous to that. Um, but any of the the sort of tweets or whatever that I have looked at sort of say, oh, this will give the coach a really good time to work on tactics and, you know, gets two weeks to work on the next game. This is what happens in the international break. Uh, You have, depending on the club that you're at, you have maybe three or four players. That's it for two weeks. The players go away on their international, um, for their international duty, flying to you know, there's Aussie, we're, we're playing games in Australia, South America, if you're based in England, it's a long flight. And then you uh, you literally do no tactics at all because on international duty, as you know, with your Wallabies and, and my time with the Socceroos, it's do no harm. So you, um, you are doing uh, absolutely nothing as little as possible before you play an international game. You play two games in about six days and then you send them back to the club and it takes a day of travel and then a day and a half later you're playing in the Premier League. So all the people now and the fans who are sitting there thinking, oh, that's great, you know, um, uh, Jurgen Klopp's going to get two weeks to work on the Liverpool tactics and Pep Guardiola and Mikel Arteta and Ange Postacoglu will have all this time to work on Tottenham tactics and fix up. They're all away. You don't get any time to do anything. And as a practitioner, literally all you are doing is training three blokes with the under-17s, 18s and 19s, and they don't want to be there and you don't want to be there. And in my time working in, in you know, six years or so over there, the coaches are often on holiday and they just go, yeah, take care of it. It's a it's a fascinating um, a fascinating sort of social experiment where everyone goes, oh, we'll be all refreshed after the international break. It can be a disaster because but the three know, or four blokes who are yeah. still there are just overtrained, not interested yeah. in coming in every day to train with people half their age in some instances. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Two Coaches and a Coffee is proudly sponsored by SpeedSig. If you work with field sport athletes, understanding how your players generate and control speed is critical to your effectiveness as a coach medical practitioner or sports scientist. Acceleration, speed and deceleration not only can be generated using unique individual strategies, but those strategies change as an athlete gets stronger, as they develop better skills, most definitely when they suffer injuries and as the athlete gets older. Does your athlete monitoring program cover these variables? SpeedSig uses IMU GPS technology that your team is already using to provide biomechanically validated and reliable data that describes how an athlete generates and controls speed. Check out our website for more detail at speedsig.com. Now back to two coaches and a coffee. 
Yeah, un- un- unquestionably. And when you have that period, um, same between test matches, say you're on a uh, a winter series in Australia, so you might play two tests, have two weeks off and play another two weeks. You've got two weeks in which, you know, maybe you've got to put bodies back together again. You've got to get guys to recover. It's not always being able to move forward. But I will say yeah. that, like your last point, is it's a period where, much like the buy in AFL, Sometimes the buy in AFL really needs to be about reloading, getting their body right mm. again. Because we said this before, guys run so close, and the guys and girls in their at their top end of their sport, they're they're riding really close to that line of how much can I tolerate? And oftentimes you're making ground week to week. You're just getting back on the horse. You're keeping them going. They're healthy, but that two week or that little window can cook them in a very, very short period yeah. of time. And the work, yeah, okay. and you'd know this too, you'd know the one where you get, um, let's say, a seven or eight-day break. So you've got an extra day or two, and then all of a sudden we have an extra session and training load in a given period goes through the roof, and that poor kid who's just hanging on suddenly snaps. Um, yeah, it's over the edge. It's, it's, it's a real balance between the mental and the physical for sure. Um, and I've heard of coaches taking those four players who are left away somewhere. And in winter, you can imagine in the UK, it's, it's she's pretty pretty brutal. So to go to Spain or Dubai or something for three or four days is is generally a big win. Just on that, I know we, we may have time to get to your topic, but I'm going to throw one more at you. Biggest thing, in the, biggest thing in the NFL over the last five days has been, in fact, over the last five weeks, but the last five days has been Travis Kelsey heading to Argentina to on on a on a bye week he spent Friday Saturday Sunday in Argentina at Taylor Swift concert which is his you know evidently his new partner and imagine just imagine if that happened in the AFL out here now in the Premier League I can tell you if they had two days off straight to a private air airfield private plane, off home for two days, three days. No one batted an island. Over here, if Jordan DeGoey goes to Bali for three days on his day off, commentators go nuts. Yeah, what about, well, you know the the classic Dennis Rodman story from the Chicago Bears, like Bulls, he's playing terribly. The team put in, the team put in money to send him to Vegas he goes yep. and not and not like rips like he rips it up like at Olympic level standard. Comes back and plays like a genius. Yeah, like, what it, do you do? I think we've got to get <laughs> grow up a little bit as Australian media. And I get that you got to have things to talk about. And yeah, yeah. you know, so if there's a photo of of like we said, you know, not not doing anything nefarious, but if Jordan DeGoe is just sitting on a beach in Bali on a weekend off, more power to him. Unbelievable. But I mean that we, we spoke about this that small conversation I had right before this uh podcast with a a uh, soccer player of mine. But the point was, and we won't go into the detail of that right now, but the point of that conversation was understand what the player needs to succeed. Try and figure it out, right? Now the further you go up the chain, like I mean, you're playing when you were at Arsenal and Liverpool, you had umpteen players. I can see Gerard's jumper back there. 
guys who are going from the highest level of international, like we're talking goats, greats of all time type guys, you've got to respect what they need to succeed and you've got to help understand them. So being dogmatic about the fact that everybody must squat or everybody must edit, maybe it's not going to work. And it also comes then back to what do they need to succeed? They might need time down. And it's a very, and I'm not yeah. saying there's a rule to any of that, but I think as practitioners, we need to keep an open mind and be creative and try and understand the player. Walk a mile in their shoes where you can. Yeah, we, we have spoken a little bit about this before, so I won't harp onto it. But in that situation, right, and often at the elite level, the uh, they tend to attract other elite athletes, um, other certain superstars and, you know, different uh, people in in um, more entertainment industries. And this is a classic example. You've got an elite full-time athlete at the very top of his game, won two Super Bowls, I think, lost one, um, attracting the biggest superstar on the planet. So when are they going to get time to see each other? And you know as well as I do, an unhappy athlete is a higher injury risk is um, just a, a, certainly a higher risk at poor performance. And so yeah. if they can get away for two nights to see somebody who's in the middle of a world tour and is unlikely to be just local in Kansas City anytime soon, yeah. then for me it's play on. You can t- take some steps to say, okay, make sure you do your mobility and all those sorts of things. But the real, those things will make a tiny, tiny bit of difference compared to the satisfaction of seeing your partner perform on stage in front of 70,000 yeah. people. What a, what a, why don't we flip flip the script a little bit, right? Let people get a takeaway because the chances that any of us are going to train anyone <laughs> like Travis Kelsey and the fact and yeah. have we have to deal with he's going to see Taylor Swift, like that's that's not on my radar anytime soon. But let's give people no. a takeaway. Here's one. Here's one that comes up all the time, right? And I've confronted it many, many times is having a baby, right? So quite often you come across... Confronted it many, many times. Confronted it, mate. I've Yeah, I've confronted it. I've faced it head on. Um, No, so your players and their partner are pregnant and they're getting through that and they're in the middle of the season and it's go time. Baby's on, let's go. Um, I had a standing rule. If you can get them out of the club with a minimum amount of work, absolute minimum, get them out. The only other big thing to do is protect their sleep where possible, do everything. If they're going to stay in the hospital to make sure they get a decent bed in there, not just a you know a piece of foam or sleep, whatever. But when you've got a, a, a an athlete who's um, particularly on the male side, I can't speak from the female side, I haven't coached that, but the male side, it's, you know, they'll, they'll do a good job, but I think if you can really protect them as much as you can and understand that the stresses around what's happening to their partner and having a baby and all those things outweighs the fact that, hey, you've got to do two sessions this week. And getting your coaches on board with that is really important. So I guess that's a, a takeaway for the day. Really think about that. Don't be dogmatic. Really got to get in your uh, athlete's shoes and, and help them survive. Because remember, stress, everything we do is stress. Training is stress. Not sleeping is stress. Um, mortgage rates going up and up and pressure a lot. That's all stress, right? All stress. So our ability to control stress and have the body adapt to it is 
one of the biggest things is don't put more stress on when you don't need to. So anyway, that's my takeaway yeah. for the day, hopefully. And there are a number of stress hormones in the body, if we go right down to detail, that don't actually um, don't actually know the difference between uh, no. perceived stress, actual stress, physical stress, psychological stress. They don't know. They just release yeah, yeah. because equals release so yeah uh, we can all the time no 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 but that's not a stress i mean harden up it's just not you having the baby but uh it, it doesn't just does not apply so um, yeah. i sort of uh commandeer this episode mate with a couple of unscripted things so no it's all good gonna- mate i like i like random mate you know you know i like to jump around and um that's why we have coffee beforehand mate it's it's awesome yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, next week we'll talk about the draft that's happening. Uh, so Monday night here in Australia, it's a, you know the biggest night in the AFL for kids um, who are about to get drafted. So I've been pouring through a whole bunch of draft data in the last little bit. So we'll, we'll have a bit of a chat about that and uh, and also some some uh, rehab programs that we we're going to talk about today. Absolutely, mate. I look forward to it, and uh, I hope everyone got a little bit out of that. I think. I, w- I will say when you're looking at that that physio conversation that about our community, um, I don't think we should be working towards being divisive. I think everyone we should be pushing from our end to continue to be con- inclusive uh, because it's important. And I was at a, a presentation I, I made last night on lumbar spine fractures, uh, stress fractures, um, and I kept harping to the whole people there, particularly the coaches. We have to work together because this is not about us. It's about the player. Our job is to get the player on the field and get them available. So don't make it about you, make it about them. And that's what we should be doing. Anyway, that's my uh, utopian take on the world for today. Let's uh, Thanks, say our farewells and we'll uh, catch you guys all next time. See you next week, mate. Bye.